You're listening to The Parting Shot with H. Allen Scott. We're doing something a little bit different today. We're getting political. Well, at least my guest is. Celebrated director Rob Reiner is worried about the rise of Christian nationalism, which is the use of Christian values to push a political agenda. And he's worried about the impact it's having on our democracy. To highlight this in the best way he can, he's doing what he does best. He made a movie about it. Reiner teamed up with director Dan Partland to produce the documentary God and Country. In the film, Partland examines how Christian nationalism distorts not only the constitutional republic, but Christianity itself. He does this by speaking with Christian leaders and showing the distinct difference between Christianity and Christian nationalism. For Reiner, he's very direct about laying some of the blame for the rise in Christian nationalism right at the doorstep of former President Donald Trump, pointing to his messaging and the events of January 6th as prime examples. One of the things I took from my conversation with Reiner was the need for empathy. That's one of the things that I personally feel like we're lacking in this country. Sure, you might have different views than I do, but I'm empathetic to why you feel the way that you do, and I respect it as your opinion. But that respect comes with an understanding of our shared laws and rights, and that one thing is clear from the outset. Whatever your religious beliefs are, they should never impart on my rights as an American, as outlined in the Constitution. I'm not a religious person, but I do believe in the Constitution. It reminds me of a great Joan Allen film from 2000 called The Contender. She was nominated for Best Actress. I personally feel like she should have won. Whatever. Allen plays a nominee for vice president, and she's going through a Senate hearing. And it's wrapped up in a big sex scandal. It's, I mean, it's a dramatic movie. I highly recommend you watch it. But part of her being an atheist, the character being an atheist, is a big part of her story. And in her closing argument, she says, Now, I may be an atheist, but that does not mean I do not go to church. I do go to church. The church I go to is the one that emancipated the slaves, that gave women the right to vote, that gave us the very freedom that we hold dear. My church is this very chapel of democracy that we sit in together, and I do not need God to tell me what are my moral absolutes. I need my heart, my brain, and this church. I love that line. It is such a good bit of line. It's just so good. And To me, that quote has always stood out as sort of the very foundation of why the Constitution and the separation of church and state is just so, so important. And I love the idea of like the Constitution being my faith because it's just so matter of fact and factual, which as someone who loves going by the book and facts, I definitely love that. Anyway, yeah, you have all of that to look forward to in my chat with Rob Reiner. But of course... I can't, I, it's me. I can't not ask him about some of his movies. So I had to ask him about two of my favorite movies of his, The American President, but really one of my favorite movies of all time, Misery. So definitely wait for that for the end of the chat because it's a fun one. He has a good answer to my question about Misery. Uh, so let's get to it. Go on and grab a snack because I will be right back with Rob Reiner. Okay, it's time to commit. 2024 is the year for prioritizing yourself. Begin your new smile journey with Byte, and you could start seeing results in just two to three weeks. Just order your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95 at Byte.com. Byte Clear Aligners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces. Plus, they offer financing options, accept eligible insurance, and you can pay with your HSA, FSA. 
Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot Start your confidence journey today with Byte. Rob, I have to say, it is a huge honor to meet you. I have been a fan of yours for a long time. I, My mother's a fan of yours. Like I feel like it's generational at this point that I'm just continuing to be a fan of yours. So it's a oh, real pleasure you. to meet you. Yeah, thank you so much. When they first approached me about talking with you, I had my own sort of background with sort of Christianity. I was raised Mormon and then the gay thing happened and that didn't work out so well. And so I converted (laughs) to Judaism later. And so I've definitely been through the ringer with Christianity in general. And so I really responded to the approach of the film and the conversation in general on sort of what's happening today with Christianity, but also with Christian nationalism and like what made you want to produce and put your name on a film like this? Well, uh, you know, first of all, we have to make a distinction between Christianity and Christian nationalism, because when you watch the film, you'll see that there are we have some very, very respected conservative Christian uh, evangelicals who talk specifically about how not only is Christian nationalism hurting uh, the country and hurting democracy, but it's hurting Christianity itself. Mm-hmm. And they believe that it is a, a terrible attack on Christianity. What made me want to get involved is I saw a, a, a movement happening in the country that was taking us further and further away mm-hmm. from democracy. It started for me, the awareness of it uh, back in the 80s and the late 70s and early 80s when Norman Lear started the People for the American Way. And I saw this um, this movement to kind of push a certain agenda down everybody's throat. And I didn't think much about it at the time in terms of uh, how, what kind of political power they would uh, attain. But I've seen over the years that they're incredibly organized, incredibly well-funded, and have attained tremendous power. And I saw that uh, uh, um, supporting Trump's candidacy in 2016, again in 2020. And now it's, uh, you know, it's really hardened and solidified behind Trump. And to me, this is a dangerous path for this country to go down and for the world to go down, which is authoritarianism. The idea that it's my way or the highway and that you're even willing to resort to violence to get your own way. We saw this exemplified in January 6th. And that to me is setting the tone for something that could be much, much worse down the road. So when I saw this, uh, when I was given this book by uh, um, Steve Oaken from Anonymous Contact, it was called uh, The Power Worshippers by Catherine Stewart. I said, oh, this is really a, a great piece of work that shows just how organized, just how powerful this uh, this uh, um, this movement is, Christian nationalism. And I turned to Dan Partland. I said, come on, let's let's see if we can make a documentary about this, because people have to be made aware of uh, the 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 drive that's that's happening in this country. And like I say, we have very conservative Christian leaders, thinkers, uh, devout Christians in the in the film talking about the danger 
of Christian nationalism to not just to the country, but to the church itself and mm-hmm. to Christianity itself. And I think that it made me think of, so when I was a kid, my grandpa was a, a very much a, a strict Mormon, you know, very strict Mormon. He, he very much a devout Christian in a lot of ways. But I, my earliest memories of my grandpa is that he hated Ronald Reagan because Reagan brought Christianity into politics, he thought, and it changed the Republican Party. And he was like, religion has nothing to do with politics. They should be separate. He really believed that. And that was one of my earliest memories. And looking back, you know, that really was the start of sort of that wasn't the start, but it was a big, big impetus with Christian nationalism. And it's just the film does a great job of sort of showing its growth in small ways to where we are today. I wanted to know how how do you think Christian nationalism has evolved since Reagan to today? Well, it's 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 evolved uh, considerably when you think about um the beginnings of this movement happened in when the, the in 1954 there was the brown versus the board of education uh ruling which said that uh everybody had to be treat, treated equal in in terms of where they could access education and this was not taken well by a big swath of the population they just didn't like this idea so they created religious schools where they could keep black people from integrating the schools and it started this movement of bringing religion or their idea of a religion it was the KKK, the, Christ, the uh, Christian identity movement of uh, maintaining this separation between blacks and whites. But it's kind of ugly if you think about it, that that would be the basis of a political movement is let's we'll all be we'll be racist. And that's what will, <laughs> yeah. you know, we'll separate the races and that will be our a rallying cry. It so sounds like an episode of all in the family, really, if you think about it. It, it didn't yeah. really didn't really take root, <laughs> yeah. you know, but then along came uh, Roe v. Wade in 72. And by 73, this became the galvanizing issue for. Uh, Christian nationalists, they 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 latched onto that and became a uh, a, a linchpin. It became the the thing that that uh, drove the movement. And then over the period of time, we saw the Federalist Society getting involved in making sure that uh, judges were put in the right place and getting them onto the Supreme Court. And all the way up to uh, uh, Trump, uh, uh, you know, putting three judges on the Supreme Court, and we see over we see Roe v. Wade overturned. So we've seen a growth pattern uh, over the decades of how Christian nationalism has gotten stronger and stronger and stronger. But you, your father talking about the separation of church and state and not wanting these two things to be separate. That is in the Constitution. There are there are three mentions of it in the Constitution. And Christian nationalists will will say out and out, there is no separation of church and state in the Constitution. They just lie about it. Yeah. yeah. It's just it's information. So uh your father is right in that the separation of church and state allows religions to uh to grow and to to gives people the freedom mm-hmm. to to uh pray and and worship however they want when you impose a religion on 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 a on a country it discounts everybody else's uh beliefs and thinking yeah. and that's the reason why uh the first uh, the settlers that came to america were running away from religious persecution they wrote a constitution that said th- that the state will make no religion 
mm-hmm. that this country will make no religion. And so it's the Christian nationalist movement is totally antithetical to that. It says that uh, it's my way of the highway and we'll resort to violence if we don't get our way, which is what we saw happen in on January 6th. Yeah. One of the things that when watching the film, I mean, I come, I'm from St. Louis, Missouri and a suburb in St. Louis. And there was a, a big deal in my community where we, in it's called Meacham park and it was an all black high school. And, and it was, it was one of the, it was the first. And then of course, when it went away, it really sort of hurt the community and people didn't know where to put kids. And it was, I mean, race was a big part of it. And when I watched the film, I was so surprised at sort of, I mean, I'm not surprised at racism being sort of the root of many problems in this country, but I was surprised at the role of sort of Roe v. Wade and racism within sort of the early starts of Christian nationalism and how that was really sort of the impetus in the beginning of sort of how a lot of this got started. I wanted to know if that surprised you and if there was anything that you learned over the process of producing this that you were surprised by something. Well, the thing that I was most surprised by is to see, like I say, Christian leaders, conservative Christian leaders talk against Christian nationalism because they believed it was not only, like I say, not only hurting the country, but hurting Christianity. That was surprising to me. Um, We knew we had to uh, include them. They had to be part of the discussion because we're talking about Christianity and certainly a Jewish person. Uh, you know, a lot of people say, well, hi, you have no right to talk about this. You're Jewish. Why should you comment on on the, the state of Christianity? And I tell people, for those who want to hear, is that I was, uh, you know, I'm Jewish. There's no question about it. But I was raised in a secular household. There was no uh, there was no practice of religion. Uh, we were not religious at all. And when I went through a very dark period in my life, Decades ago, I did a lot of searching and soul searching and reading up on Christianity and Buddhism and Islam and and Judaism. And I read all of it. And I came away personally with my own beliefs, which is the teachings of Jesus, which is love thy neighbor, do unto others as you would do unto your, you know, as you have have done unto you. And that's what I took away. And so I, I thought. Boy, this movement that they have here seems completely antithetical to the teachings of Jesus. Mm-hmm. I mean, they they believe in the death penalty. They believe in, uh, you know, more guns. Uh, Jesus was about peace and love and helping thy neighbor and those less fortunate than ourselves. And I thought that was something that we should all aspire to. Yeah. So, um this is uh, to me. This movement is 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 going totally opposite the teachings of Jesus. Well, and that's what's so compelling for me. And one of the reasons why I first responded to the film is that you know, I, like my like yourself, I had to go through a path, a pretty dark path of figuring out who I was, and I ended up with Judaism. But it took a lot of reading, and it took a lot of figuring out and and figuring out sort of different cultures and different religions and. One of the things that I love about the film is that it really does very distinctly say this is not about Christianity because even even Christians are saying this is bad for us. This is a bad direction yeah. for us to go down. And Christians are already hurting with the PR program. So, like, the film is really eye opening in a lot of ways. I wonder if you like what you hope sort of more middle of the road Christians are going to take away from a film like this. Well, I think th- hopefully it'll spawn a discussion. 
I mean, uh, a lot of people who are unwittingly being drawn into this movement, not knowing it gives them a sense of power, it gives them a sense of belonging. Um, but if they really look at it and they really talk about it with their friends and listen to these very respected people like Russell Moore and mm-hmm. Phil Vischer and so on, they might start thinking, wait a minute. Uh, I might be getting away from those teachings. I might be moving into a direction I shouldn't be moving into. That's the hope that we can spawn a discussion and that it can not only reach people who are of the same faith, you know, and make them understand where their faith is moving, but also people of other faiths to say, you know, we all have to live together in, in, in one place. That's the wonderful e pluribus unum of it all. Yeah. Out of the many come one. I mean, you say you had to go through a, you know, a soul searching process mm-hmm. and you came to where you have. We want everybody to think about that, not to just accept dogma and go down a path that may be leading to a very, very bad place. We saw the beginnings of it in January 6th. It could be a lot worse uh you know going going forward so i mean you know you were a mormon and i think if you look even at the mormon church right now they're way more accepting of of gay and uh you know lbgt they're way more accepting than they were let's say 10 15 years ago yeah because you know when i and my wife started the american foundation for equal rights it was all about creating marriage equality and we filed the first federal lawsuit and we were opposed mainly by the mormon church yep. but as time went by the more even the mormon church started wait wait a minute you know we 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 can't be so harsh here yeah. you're seeing pope the pope yep. now talking about you they don't have to perform uh you know gay marriages but they should recognize them and say yeah. these people they love each other yeah and what's wrong with that and when we teamed up with uh, Ted Olson on this uh, marriage equality uh, federal case, he said he's a very conservative, uh, you know, was a solicitor general for George Bush. Mm-hmm. He said there's nothing more conservative than marriage and people loving yeah. each other. Yeah. And I think that's what comes across in the film, that it's conservative and it's loving to say we should all accept each other. That's that's the right thing to do. Yeah. So, uh, you know, hopefully people will watch the film and uh, start having discussions with people about what it means to blindly follow something that could lead you to a very dangerous place. Yeah. And I don't care what, uh, you know, Trump says. He said, calls, uh, you know, the, the, the insurrectionists, he calls them oh, yeah. hostages. Yeah. And they're, 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 they're lawbreakers. Yeah. They, they, they did a violent act. They yeah. did something very violent and they, sh- and they should pay a price for that. Mm-hmm. But, um, it, it, we're going in a very dark place right now unless we're careful. I believe that we as, as people will, uh, find a way to let the good part of ourselves come forward and, and I think uh, so too. do the right thing. Yeah. I think so too. One of the things that I, I find, I mean, we both live in Los Angeles. There's sort of a coastal mentality. And one of the things that, that I, that bothers me actually as someone from the Midwest is when people on the coast are like, Oh, well those Christian conservatives in the Midwest, they're crazy in the South and they're just, they're just crazy following Trump around. And, and I, I, I tend to lead with a little bit of empathy to understand why they have chosen to go in this direction and support these Christian nationalists and support Trump in these ways and i wanted to know if you in sort of doing the show in doing the film looking at it 
you know, I think a lot of people on the coast think, oh, it's a small part of the country. It's no big deal. Like it's not we shouldn't be spending too much time on it. Do you think it's bigger than what even people on the coast think it is? It, it is. And it's not as big as many think. We're talking about 25 percent, 25 to 30 percent. of the, It's just a big chunk of the country. Yeah. 25 percent. But it's a hardened 25 percent. And anything that is that hardened can cause a tremendous amount of damage. And, and, and that's what we're looking at. So you'd say, well, you can't win an election with 25 percent. Yes, you can. You can. Yeah. And, and the way you do it is because of the system we have with the Electoral College, all you have to do is flip some votes in five or six states Mm -hmm. because there are states that will vote Republican, there are states that will vote Democrat, and they're off the table. They're not going to play a role. But in those five to eight states, if you can flip enough votes in those very close states with a support group of a support team of 25%, you can win. Yeah. You can win. And then you're down then you're going down the authoritarian path and it's uh, very very dangerous. Yeah. Well, and also, I mean, you know, like I said at the beginning of our chat, like I have a generational history with you. I I know your politics. I I support your brand. I support your films. I pay the tickets to go see your movies. I own most of your movies. So like we have a relationship with you. And one of the things that I wonder is, do you ever, because you are so outspoken politically and you have been for years, do you ever worry about your politics perhaps getting in the way of people receiving the message of the documentary or the message oh, of the film? Of course, of yeah. course. I mean, you know, half the country thinks I'm a libtard. I'm an idiot, <laughs> you know. I am I mean, for, for opposing Trump the way I have over the years, uh, you know, and, and that's that comes with the territory that that's fine. Uh, but I, I I urge people if they look at this film or they look at, uh, you know, what I talk about, they may see something that they, you know, don't have a knee jerk reaction. Mm-hmm. You know, really think about what what we're talking about here. This is uh, yeah, there's no question about it. They you know, listen, they they got me. You know, visiting, you know, I'm, I have a, a, a summer home on Epstein's Island, the way they, yeah. they write about me. And I'm, I'm, you know, I'm a pedophile. I'm doing all kinds yeah. of crazy things. All lies. Yeah. Uh, oh, you know, no, I know. And yeah. it's tough. You know, there's yeah. disinformation and they've got the Internet. But the truth is, you know, I I do love the teachings of Jesus. I've I've loved them from from the time I can. Like I say, it was during a dark period of my life. And I believe that good wins out over evil. And I think that we're all decent people and that even the people who are entrenched in the Christian nationalist movement, we have to have uh, uh, forgiveness if it doesn't work out or even if they wind up attacking more or whatever. Down the road, at a certain point, you have to forgive. Yeah. I mean, I remember when the... Uh, that terrible thing happened at the uh, church in South Carolina where mm-hmm. well, the, the, the people were killed, you know, by this white supremacist person. And they all, all of the, uh, the, the survivors of the loved ones, they all forgave that person. Yeah. And I thought, wow, that takes a, that's real Christianity. Yeah. Those are real that's angels real walking on earth. Christianity yeah. Yeah. to say that person as evil and as horrible an act as he committed, mm-hmm. he is misguided and he's still a part of the human race. And, you know, he, you know, God love him because 
you know, he something happened to this guy mm-hmm. and it was a bad thing that happened to him, but we still have to pray for him and love him and and hopefully he'll be okay. But that's that's the tough thing. Yeah. That's the tough part of being that's the tough part of being uh somebody who believes in in the teachings of Jesus. That's not the easy part. Mm-hmm. And uh the the real you know, people who believe that, uh, you know, it's the turn the other cheek. I mean, you've got to you know, it's tough. It's tough to do that. Yeah. If somebody's attacking you, you got to defend yourself. Yes. When they're physically on top of you. Yeah. But um, to force your ideas, your political ideas on somebody at the point of a gun, that's not that's not the way yeah. uh, Jesus taught. He didn't talk about that. Well, and also having I mean, one of the things and this is something that I took from the film, too, that having empathy for sort of a change in thought with, especially with a lot of Trump voters who, you know, we, even a lot of the people on January 6th, they talk about how they were indoctrinated by sort of, sort of the, the language yes. coming out of Trump and they, they're open about where their headspace was and social media plays a part in that. And Trump played a part in that as a lot of things, a lot of voices that played a part yes. in that, but having empathy for those people. Yes, that- of course, of course you do. Because look, you know, everybody talks about a cult of personality and Trump is a cult and people follow the cult. Cult people are vulnerable people. Yeah. They're people who are lost. They're looking for something. They're looking for meaning. They're looking for strength. They're looking for a direction. And you can get swept up in something. So you have to have sympathy for those people. And you have to say, I'm sorry, you you know, you feel empty or lost or whatever. And you chose this direction to go on because it seemed like the right thing to do. Uh, but, you know, you find it. it's and, and a lot of those people did say, you know, I did. I was wrong. I did the wrong thing here. Yeah. And so you got you got to love them. You got to love them. Well, and you're also not going to win any votes over if you just completely ridicule people all the time for doing something one way or voting one way or supporting one candidate. If you if you write someone off in that way. They're never going to be able to be persuaded to vote your way. You know, that's true. I mean, the people who are following Trump right now, I would say they're very hard to convince. Yeah. I mean, you, 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 you know, it's hard to convince somebody who's stuck in that, you know, mindset. But down the road, they may say, you know, I was wrong about that. You know, you get older, you go, gee, I shouldn't have done that. Or that was the wrong thing to do. Yeah. But, you know, you're right. You can't. I can criticize Trump Mm -hmm. because he's the one who's, you know, roping these people into this uh, thinking. And you look, they all love me and all that. And they said he's anointed by God and, you know, he's their retribution. But he's using language like vermin and, you know, poisoning the blood of the yeah. of the country and all that stuff. And it's, wow, it's, you know, this is scary stuff. Wild Especially stuff. if you're a Jew, you know. You, yes. Yeah. You know what could happen to people who yeah. say yeah, it's all their fault, you know. Yeah. When you start pointing fingers, you get in dangerous territory yeah. for sure. Yeah, well, yeah. one of the thing, I mean, you being the Hollywood legend that you are, I there I always think about sort of the role that Hollywood has in sort of shaping a narrative, shaping a narrative for the country. And one of the things I love about your films and the work that you have done is, yeah, a lot of it, some of it is entertainment, but a lot of it also has a message. It has a point to it. There's a, there's a meaning behind it that maybe you can take away from it. And I wanted to know what role do you think Hollywood has in sort of telling stories like this film and, and, and just in shaping the narrative for people so that we have a perspective on where we are as a culture. Well, I think I think it's up to the to the filmmaker. You know, I mean, not everybody 
you know, the first thing is to entertain. Yeah. I mean, when you're making fictional films, you know, it's to entertain. And so that's that's your first order of business. If you want to bring, um, you know, m- issues into it uh, to talk about a specific thing, that's fine. As long as you can do it in the context of entertainment. That's why this film, God and Country, is a documentary, because we're not we're saying this is happening in the country. We're not you know, it is entertaining on a certain level which is yeah. it's informative and interesting and you're engaged in it but it's not it's not there to you know take you on a barbie ride or something like yeah. that you know it's yeah. it's it's a different kind of thing my my personal uh thing is i like to blend uh comedy drama satire mm-hmm. uh issues together if i can in some way but I certainly don't want to hit anybody over the head with any messages. Yeah. And that's up to the individual filmmaker. And I don't know that Hollywood, you know, if you look at Hollywood over the years, they have certainly uh, reflected the culture. But in terms of making any kind of significant change, um, very few films by themselves do that. I think uh, I was a fugitive from a chain gang, did change the mm-hmm. criminal justice system a little bit, but very few films do that. Mostly they they spark uh, conversation and maybe that leads to something. The yeah. one thing I learned from Norman Lear was that you could take your celebrity or your fame, whatever, from what you've done and use that as a platform to push uh, you know, certain ideas that you had. Yeah. In one case, that was for me was marriage equality. Earlier than that, I did the thing for early childhood, mm-hmm. which I cared a, a lot about. So uh, I can do that, but I would do that as separate from, um, you know, the work I do in a film. Yeah. Although I have done films that are politically uh, based, you know, Ghosts yeah. of Mississippi and yeah. A Few Good and Shock and Awe. Well, I have to say, and I can't, I only have two more questions for you, but I can't spend any time with you and not bring up, well, one film in particular that I think is, it made, I thought about this film a lot in watching the God and Country, but also just in thinking about you and the, and the impact that it had on me, the American president. So I went into Paul, I worked in politics for, for a number of years before I decided to leave and become a stand-up comic and writer and journalist and do things (laughs) like this. But I watched the American president and I fell in love with the process of politics. And it just was, it was, of course it's romanticized and it's, and it made me watch Mr. Smith goes to Washington. I was a kid, but I was, it got me in a domino effect of watching these kind of stories and seeing that. And then I went into politics and worked in fundraising and it was, I see the root of that with the American president and it, that film to me, yeah, it's idyllic and it's, it's fake and it's not real, but there's a hopefulness that when I watched God and country, I actually went that night and I, I own it. So I watch it all the time, but I watched the American president as well, because it's a world that I kind of want to live in, you know? And yes, I, yes. W- I wanted to know if you, if you know the impact that that film has had on, on generations of people, but also uh, if you think it's okay for us to maybe hide away for two hours and live in this fake little world of the American president and feel happy. <laughs> Well, sure, sure. Yeah. I mean, it's called, uh, you know, it's called divertisement and yeah. getting away from things. But you also aspire to something with yeah. it. It may not be exactly how it is, but you aspire to uh, reduction in fossil fuel emissions. You aspire to 
you know, meaningful gun safety legislation. You aspire yeah. to these things and maybe they can happen. And, and even in the documentary, even in God and Country, at the end, you have Reverend Barber talking about mm-hmm. uh, what Christianity can do for the world, what it has done and what it can do. And it's very hopeful. Yeah. So it can be uplifting even when you're talking about a very serious subject. Yeah. Well, my my last question for you is, and this has nothing to do with anything we've discussed, but I have to ask you about it because it is perhaps one of my top 10 films of all time. I watch it probably monthly, Misery. I the impact <laughs> the impact that Misery has had on my life. You would have no I mean, your work in general has had a massive impact on me, but Misery in particular has just be- it's become a part of my narrative. It's become a part of what I say with I, I, I quote it to my boyfriend all the time. Like it's a constant thing in my life. Well, what line do you quote to him? Oh, all of them, all of her dirty birdies. I mean, like literally everything <laughs> yeah, you is got, from. You, you he got, didn't get out of the cock duty car. <laughs> it's it's. I want to know if like if you because that felt out of all of your films, that one feels so out of the norm for what you normally do. Yes. On the surface, it would seem so because, you know, I haven't made horror films and the thriller is the only one I've, I've made, but at the core of that film is about a guy who has gotten very successful writing a certain kind of book who wants to break away from that and write something more personal and more, something more out of uh, his himself and is worried that if he does that, his fans will not not just desert him, but actually kill him. <laughs> and when I was when I was uh, doing All in the Family, after I left All in the Family, I wanted to become. I had been director. I had directed my own improvisational group when I was nineteen. I directed a theater here in Los in Los Angeles, and that was always what I wanted to do. And so when I did All in the Family, I got you know typed. as a sitcom actor and i wanted to do something else and nobody wanted to to take a chance until i eventually got spinal tap off the ground but the idea of doing something different than what you had done and worrying that you're destroying yourself or you're going to ruin your career or whatever that was at the core of of misery. And that's what I could relate to mm-hmm. that. Somebody would really get mad at you if you did something <laughs> other than what they expected you to do. Well, I love it. I love that you keep, uh, you know, raising the expectations of us for the work that you do. And it was really an honor to be able to chat with you today. I really yeah, appreciate thank you, you so the time. much. For, thank you so much for having me. It was a great conversation. Let me know what you thought of today's episode. I'm H. Allen Scott on everything. And, you know, leave a little rating and review. It does help me out a lot. It really does. And there needs to be more of them. I know you're listening. So go leave that rating. For the latest news and podcasts, head to Newsweek.com and follow Newsweek on all the social platforms. And while you're at Newsweek, be sure to subscribe to my newsletter for the culture. It's really fun. We had a great time with the Super Bowl for the newsletter. So you can go on and go read those old ones, too, because they're funny, in my opinion. Until then, watch something fun and have a great day. Support for this podcast and the following message come from Coriant. 
Corient provides wealth management services centered around you. They focus on exceeding your expectations and simplifying your life. Corient has been helping high achievers just like you enjoy their lives more fully, preserve their wealth, and provide for the people, causes, and communities they care about. As one of the largest integrated fee-only registered investment advisors in the U.S., Corient has deeply experienced teams in 23 strategic locations. Corient has extensive knowledge spanning the full spectrum of planning, investing, lending, and money management disciplines. Leverage Corient's exclusive network of experts to craft custom solutions designed to help you reach your financial goals, no matter how complex they may be. Real wealth requires real solutions. For more information, information, connect with a wealth advisor today at Corient.com. That's C-O-R-I-E-N-T.com. Corient.com.